You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hey, podcast fans. This is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 194. On today's show, we talk about an Incan llama parade, Etruscan bronze statues, and stolen King Tut artifacts. Let's dig a little deeper into that sweet thermal mud, find some (laughs) more statues. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Rachel, how's it going? Hello, it is going so good. Although I'm not really sure I remember how to do this, so you might have to like <laughs> hold my hand <laughs> through this episode. Yeah, so it's been a minute. I know uh, since we since we did all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we had some interviews get slotted in there, which was really great, and they were really interesting. So we're always happy to have those. And then we also took a break mm-hmm. for a little while, which you know, having a break is it's good to reset and refocus. So yeah. it was it was good to have that time. Yeah, we still did, uh, or, or I did anyway. I still had to do some APN stuff in the back end, which is, you know, why we took the break. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we are uh, back hitting it and uh, and loving it. And like Rachel said, we had a couple interviews that we did in October. That's the last two episodes you heard. Mm-hmm. And I thought those were great, but it's always fun getting back to the news episodes. Yeah, I, I do love talking about the news that has come out in the archaeology world. And there's a lot. There's been a lot recently. So yeah. we have a couple cool articles to talk about this mm-hmm. week listen before we start i gotta do two things uh one of them is make an announcement about you people that are listening to this on the day this came out <laughs> and also yep. give a little bit of a shout out to tea break time travel which is another podcast that is on the archaeology podcast network she's been doing a matilda Seabrecht is the host and she's been doing a uh, Instagram thing, like an Instagram real thing for uh, a couple of years now, I think. Mm-hmm. And she does this thing where she talks about an artifact. And uh, anyway, T-Berg Time Travel is the extension of that in podcast form, long form interviews. I believe we ran one of her shows on oh, yeah. our feed in October. So you guys might have heard one of her episodes sure. already and know how awesome her show is. Well, I'm going to take a page out of her book. She always talks about what kind of tea she's drinking. <laughs> and uh, we got our wine club shipment. We did. From Lava Cap. Uh, winery, which is in Placerville, California. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's in the Sierra foothills, basically, mm-hmm. kind of uh, east of Sacramento. Yep. And we're drinking their Old Vine Zinfandel, which is uh, pretty great. Vintage yeah. 2019. It's... So it's pre-pandemic Zinfandel. So it's... Oh, uh, okay. I don't know if that means anything. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it always takes a couple years for them to age or whatever, but yeah. it's really good. And it's such a cute little winery. If if you ever have a chance to just go experience... I know Amy's listening to this right now yep. and she lives in this area, so she knows. <laughs> but there's so many 
many cool, cute little wineries in the Placerville area and up in yeah. the hills there. It's just such a great area to check out and do a little shopping in Placerville and head to the wineries. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to mention Matilda is so a we could mention Lava Cab Winery because we love this wine. Mm-hmm. We've had a wine club shipment with them. It's like twice a year, and yep. we've been doing it for I think three years now. Yeah. I think in 2019 it was like a birthday present or something to you that it I got. was, and we just yeah. kept doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, Matilda is hosting. If all goes well with her voice, she may be having some issues right now, and I may have to take over, but she'll still be there. But we're hosting our first Culturo Share event, uh, and it's happening. Uh, I'm telling you guys this right now because this episode is coming out on the day that the Culturo Share event happens. Right. So if you happen to be listening to this in the morning, then it's at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Actually, it's at 7 a.m. Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern, Eastern time, time. because yep. Matilda is the one running this, and she's in Germany. Mm-hmm. So we are going to have some in our in in the time zones over here in the United States that are a little more favorable, mm-hmm. but we have to respect our audiences in Europe and uh, and the rest of the world as well. So we are going to have these in, in various time zones. But right now they're quarterly mm-hmm. and we're already planning one for February. But the one coming up here is, and I'm going to tell you what it's about just a little bit, because if you're a member of the APN, you can go watch the video. That's what I was just going to ask. Is yeah. this going to be available afterwards for people to watch? Right. All of our live yeah. events, we've always planned them to be free. Anything we've done has always been free. Mm-hmm. But if you want to watch it in post, basically, if you can't attend it live, mm-hmm. then you have to become a member of the Archaeology Podcast Network for seven ninety nine a month or less. Mm-hmm. And... Then you can watch all of our live stuff. Uh, at any point you join, you have access to the whole back catalog of live stuff. Yeah, totally. And you yeah. and I have some live shows in there, and some of the other yeah. podcasters do. And there's some cool bonus content there. It's always available for mm-hmm. free if you become a member. And and it's arcpodnet.com forward slash members if you're interested in that. Yeah. So it's going to be a fun event. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's about ancient crafts. I know. It's yeah. like right up my alley. I'm so excited. <laughs> when Matilda came up with that topic, I was like, excuse yeah. me? <laughs> I know. I know. It's pretty good. Yep. So speaking of ancients, uh, we've got three. Uh, Don't we well, talk about ancients every week? I know, right? Well, we're always speaking of ancients. Oh, one other thing I want to mention, yeah. because my God, it is hot and it's all over Netflix right now. And I'm seeing articles about how good slash bad it is. Right. The Netflix docuseries, Ancient Apocalypse, mm-hmm. featuring uh, the lovely Graham Hancock. Oh, who, say lovely. I know who got famous <laughs> for writing the book Chariots of the Gods. Yeah. And I mean, that was like 30 years ago. He wrote that. Yep. And he's been on Joe Rogan. He's been on everything. And he the basic thesis of his theory is that there's an ancient advanced civilization of humans, not aliens, humans that lived on this planet. And he thinks it was basically during or before the last ice age. Mm-hmm. The last ice age was was long. I mean, it wasn't like, you know. A season. Yeah. It was, you know, tens of thousands of years. So, yeah. So, was, anyway, yeah. We are going to talk about that series. Yeah. Probably in our next episode because in our next episode. we haven't had a chance to watch all of it, but we've watched one of the episodes so far. So, we're going to kind of try yeah. to deep dive that and see if we can get the real story. We don't want to be those people that come in like, like kind of like the academics do that are like, no, it's all wrong. He's such a liar. He's full of it. Blah, 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 blah. We're trying not to take that approach. We're going to try to watch the show and approach it from a logical perspective. So you'll see what happens when we talk about it next week. Yeah, for sure. I'm also going to say don't, I'm not going to say don't watch it either. No, I mean, if you want to go watch it, I mean, it is literally trending on Netflix and us saying don't watch it to our audience is really not going to have an impact. No, just watch it skeptically. I mean, that kind of stuff, there's there's good in from the first episode, there's good information in there. So just watch 
approach it with a skeptical mm-hmm. eye and a skeptical thought, and and we'll come in there and probably bring a lot more skepticism. So right, and we'll get into this, but <laughs> yeah, we will. I mean, to be honest, my first thought from that first episode was. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is valid information, except for his one, like, d- driving thesis yeah. has no proof. Yeah. He's trying to prove it. Yeah. But he's not gotten there yet. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. So, let's go from, you know, Graham Hancock and craziness, <laughs> which ultimately, I mean, it really is, to Peru. Yeah, to, like, the cutest archaeological site I have ever seen in my life. Cute? <laughs> yes, it's so cute. Cute? Is it an archaeology site of, like, bunny statues? <laughs> I mean, kind of. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of this article is These Remote Incan Ruins Rival Machu Picchu. Now, I've been to Peru three times. I did some work there. I did my field school there. And so Machu Picchu headlines always catch my eye when I see them. So our our news stories might be skewed a little bit towards Peru <laughs> because of me. Right. <laughs> So this one, of course, caught my eye because it's like rival Machu Picchu. How do you rival Machu Picchu? I've been there. It's fantastic and amazing and kind of something you can't even really understand until you see it in person. Mm-hmm. The the photos really, truly don't do it justice until you literally are hiking at 10,000 feet and you can't breathe and you have yeah. to keep going up somehow. Like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But there is a site in the same sort of area of Peru. It's You get to it from Cusco, which is the same place you get to Machu Picchu from. And it's called Choquequiro. And this is a sprawling pre-Columbian complex in the southern Andes area, kind of near Machu Picchu. It is Incan, of course. It dates to the 14th and 15th centuries, mostly 15th. So it's not from like a super long time ago, but mm-hmm. it's old. It's it's comparable to Machu Picchu, basically. It's very similar. There was uh, mummies that were found there, farming terraces, those same terraces that you see cut into the mountain at Machu Picchu. They have the same thing going on there. Hundreds of buildings, all kinds of various complexes, uh, main central plazas, all the kinds of things that you would expect to see in a large ancient city like that. But the terraces are built into the side of the mountain. And here's where the cute piece comes in. (laughs) The terraces are built into the side of the mountain and they have these like gray stone retaining wall or supporting walls Mm -hmm. on each terrace. Right. And they're made of small like gray stones that are just like stacked in like a wall. Yeah. Well, embedded within those gray stones are white stones in the shape of little llamas. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're so cute. And, like, there's some <laughs> larger ones with, like, a small one behind it. Like, it's a mama with a baby following. They're so... <laughs> they really are so cute. I can't imagine walking up out of the jungle and seeing, like, these adorable llamas yeah. on the terrace walls. <laughs> nice. It, it reminds me, uh, you know, I, I just had to look it up on my phone, but I've got the game Alto's Adventure. Remember oh. that one where you're, like, you're, like, going down the mountain on a... I don't know. Like skis or something, like skis? right? Yeah, yeah, skis, yeah. But you have to jump over little llamas, and they're so cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. It's probably inspired by, like, the Andes area. Oh, yeah. Because, it, you know, llamas are yeah. so prevalent there. But yeah. So these little guys, little, they're not little. These terraces are, are you know, several meters tall. Mm-hmm. So in the pictures, they look small, but they're, they're not that small. But to me, they're small and adorable. So anyway... <laughs> These little guys, they're all facing the same direction towards what would have been like the central plaza area of the of the site. And then they kind of called it rock art in the article. Do you think it counts as rock art? Well, I think if you're going to use the term rock art, Mm -hmm. then yes, because it is under 
what would be something else that's kind of under rock art, which mm-hmm. would be geoglyphs. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I think these would be more geoglyphs than, than yeah. Because rock art could be geoglyphs, could be mm-hmm. petroglyphs, could be pictographs. Right. You know, some people broad category, including archaeologists, including us. Sometimes we just like look at petroglyphs, you know, carved rock and mm-hmm. call it rock art. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true. Yeah. It's a broader term than that. Yeah, and these are definitely artistic because they're the shape of an animal. So like, mm-hmm. it's got that in its favor, and it is made of rocks, even though it's. Yeah. Not carved into a rock exactly. It's created using rocks, which is yeah. a little different. But I don't know. I, I think it counts as rock art too. It's just a different version of what we normally think of. Yeah, just I mean, again, to the getting there part. Just in the article, it says it takes most hikers two to three days to get there and back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was going to be the next thing I was going to talk about. So the site is super remote, mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to get there. There hasn't been a lot of work, archaeological work done. What you see in the photos, there's not really that much more uncovered than what you can see in the pictures. Mm-hmm. So it's just hard to get to. Yeah. But you can hike there. It's it's located at 10,000 feet. There's no roads. It's a 39-mile trail that you can take hiking, like truly hiking through the site or hiking through the mountains to the site. And I read at one point that like you're like on a cliffside with the valley like far far below you mm-hmm. with a raging river in it like this yeah. is this is not a hike for people who like to just go day day hiking you mm-hmm. know it starts at 10,000 feet drops all the way down to the river almost at 3,000 feet and then goes all the way back up to 10,000 feet to where the site is Jeez. so you're basically starting on one mountain down and then back up another mountain just yeah. to get to the site so crazy or like a helicopter right <laughs> well i'll get to that so there's a couple villages along the way that you can stop at to rest and you can overnight at. So it's not like you have to do this crazy hike with also backpacking gear. Mm-hmm. Like there's hotels and like hostels more, I think, that you yeah. can stay at along the way. The traffic from these hikers, of course, is essential to the survivor survival of these communities that you can stay at and buy provisions at along the way. Now, there is a plan to build a cable car tramway type system that will take tourists to the site and bypass this long hiking trail. Mm -hmm. And it would be a really, really great boon to the the tourism of the area. I mean, a lot of people go to Machu Picchu already, but this would be another another thing that they could do when they come to that area. So there's a lot of support for it from a building Peru's economy standpoint. Yeah. But as you might imagine, it's also hotly debated because people are worried that the site would be damaged by this increase in tourism. And it would, if not managed. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I love Peru. I've been there several times. I do. But I, they don't always do a great job of managing their resources mm-hmm. or they haven't in the past. So they would hopefully come into this with a really solid plan for protecting it. But it's, I do have like a little bit of doubt that that would happen yeah. properly. The other objection, of course, and this is probably a smaller objection, but maybe it should be bigger. But the people who live in the communities that support the hikers going on this 39 mile trek there and back would I mean, it would basically kill that economy because Mm -hmm. who would hike 39 miles down, you know, 7000 feet down (laughs) and back up again when you could just take a tram to get to the site. So, but then on the other side, there's almost no work done on the site because it's so covered in jungle yeah. and inaccessible that it you would there would be the ability to uncover a lot more of the site and learn more about it too. So from a scientific perspective, having easier access would be better there as well. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's a debate. Nothing is happening right now. It's been a proposal that's been 
hotly debated for like 10 years in Peru. So who knows if slash when it'll ever happen. But in the meantime, 39 miles. See you on the other side. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy that it mentions in the article here that 413,000 people visited Machu Picchu in the first six months mm-hmm. of 2022. Whereas only 2,353 people visited this other site mm-hmm. uh, in the first six months of 2022. Yeah. So that's nuts. Yeah. It crazy difference. just a caravan of people. I mean, that would oh, be... Oh, there is. Yeah. I mean, that's thousands a day. Yeah. Well, to get to Machu Picchu, you start your travel in Cusco, which is at like... 8,000 feet or something like that. It's pretty high up there to begin mm-hmm. with. You should actually take a couple days to acclimate yourself in right. Cusco. And then you take a train most of the way up the mountain and then you transfer over to a bus and then a bus takes you the rest of the way up the mountain where you can then you, there's like a little, I remember there being this is, you know, 20 years ago at this yeah. point but there's like a little building in there and a little museum-y type thing and you go in there and then you get into the site from that point. Right. And, but from there, like the site is, it spans probably 500 feet, hmm. maybe more. So if you want to get to this one spot up at the top, like you better be ready to hike that yeah. in t- at 10,000 feet. So it's it can, it's strenuous, but really, really worth the effort if you're going to Peru. Don't, don't miss Machu Picchu if you're going to Peru, right. for sure. Well, I'm not ready to hike it, but I am ready to go to the next article. So... <laughs> <laughs> and done. <laughs> anyway, so let's go from there over to uh, an article that takes place in Italy. And it's yet another article of the slew of articles I saw this uh, when we were researching this mm-hmm. that rewrites history. Oh, yes. yes. I love rewriting history. <laughs> I know. It's the best. Let's rewrite history on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. <laughs> Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 194. And as I mentioned, we are going to Italy, the Tuscan region. Mm -hmm. And this article is from Smithsonian Magazine. It's called Archaeologists Find 24 Bronze Statues Preserved in Tuscan Spa for 2,300 Years. Mm. And this article was all over the place. Uh, I've seen this one popping up on my phone and different things, you know, for the last couple of weeks. I feel like I got like a notification about it. It was that important or whatever. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't do anything else, at least just click on it and go look at the pictures Mm -hmm. because the statues are just ridiculous detail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But a little more about it. Anyway, I said uh, Smithsonian Magazine. It's in the Siena region of Italy. Excavations have been ongoing here since 2019, mm-hmm. uh, led by Jacopo Taboli. And he's a historian at a place called University for Foreigners. I saw that. What? <laughs> what does that mean? Does it mean that they 
don't speak well, Italian at the university. Nah, so I think it's just for foreigners. Okay. I don't know. All right. So yeah, there you go. Cool. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so anyway, um, recently, uh, as early as last month, as we're as we're talking about this in November of 2022, uh, they started finding. I mean, they've been finding a lot of stuff in, in these thermal springs that are these baths, basically hot springs. Right. And. Recently, some stuff just started like popping out at the layer they were in. Now, keep in mind, this isn't like your usual excavation. Right. They're in literal mud and hot yeah. water. Yeah. They're probably yeah. like pumping out water oh, yeah. just to like keep it out of the way while they're excavating. Yeah. Which you and I have experience with that kind of excavation. And it is mucky and messy, but can preserve things really well sometimes. Yes. Yeah, there isn't a single picture that doesn't include mud and water, yeah. except for the ones in the lab. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just like a nasty, nasty area. Yeah. So, anyway, eventually, uh, as they started digging this stuff out, they found 24 perfectly preserved bronze statues, again, mm-hmm. dating back about 2,300 years, as well as thousands of coins and oh, wow. other significant artifacts. So, does it seem like these were purposely put there well, we'll or they were that. abandoned? Okay. Yeah, we'll get to okay. that. Okay. Yeah, the area here is called, uh, in fact, the town is called San, and this is my Italian, um, <laughs> San Caschiano de Bagni. That's not bad. Yeah. That's, how, that's what I would say. Yeah, the area's been known for its thermal baths for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And and this particular discovery, cache. yeah, <laughs> cache, is important because it is the largest deposit of bronze statues um, ever discovered in Italy from this era. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something. Yeah. Because people love their bronze statues yeah, in Italy. Yeah, there's like... Tons of bronze statues. We went yeah. to one museum when we were in Italy that was basically all statues of mm-hmm. all different materials. Yeah. So the Romans and the Greeks, man, they loved them some statues. So right. this is crazy. So to understand kind of what was going on here, we need to look at the time period. And again, we said 2,300 years ago, but really it's a it's a range of time from about the second century BCE to the first century CE. So mm-hmm. about a 300 year time span. And that's not necessarily when these could have all been dropped at the same time. Right. You know, there mm-hmm. are inscriptions that they're still analyzing and things like that. We might get better handle on it. Mm-hmm. But either way, that was a, a massive time of upheaval in Tuscan history mm. because it was Etruscan at the time. Mm-hmm. That was the people that lived there. And then the Romans came in. And this shook was, this things is, up. Shook things up. This is when mm-hmm. they were basically um, just taking by conflict uh, Etruscan mm-hmm. towns and cities and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they were uh, this this town, in fact, in in particular, was uh, part of a battle. Okay. And so, as with all things, when the Romans basically won, what they started to do was uh, made a, making campaigns to redefine Etruscan basically, you know, religion, iconography, bring oh. it all under the Roman way of doing things. Oh, and like yeah. make it less of a part of the daily life, yeah. probably, yeah. right? Minimizing like, the Etruscan yeah. culture so, yeah. they can, so they can become Roman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And be and be happy, wealthy citizens mm-hmm. instead of just like lowly Etruscans. So don't we call that cultural genocide? Yeah. I think? Yeah. So <laughs> the Romans did quite a bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure did. But they did that by um, destroying or burying historical items, mm-hmm. much like these statues. Oh, yeah. so that's how they could have ended up there together. Right. And one way that we know that they are Etruscan and not something else is they're literally inscribed with the names of prominent Etruscan families. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So these statues have family names on them and they're all buried together. That does like. seem like the spoils of yeah. war, not spoils, but like post-war destruction kind of just, a thing. I could just imagine somebody marched over by a centurion and yeah. said, dump them in. Yeah. Yep. And if you look at the photos too, the sizes of these statues, they're not like full-size 
mm-hmm. people. They're like two feet tall, it looks like, or two or three feet tall. Yeah. So they would have stood on a pillar by your door. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. may not feel the need to like break them into pieces like you would a larger statue. Sure. You could just chuck the whole thing into a hole. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that makes sense why they're mostly complete and all buried together. Yeah, and the archaeologist Taboli, uh, or the historian, I should say, uh, in charge of the excavation, mm-hmm. he did mention that he thinks they were submerged in the water as some sort of ritual because the Etruscans did have a sort of a give to the water, the water will give back to you kind of thing. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you know, they were probably, I mean, if, if the history lesson is right, they were probably going to have to get rid of the statues anyway, so maybe they deliberately did all of them at once. Oh. So okay. they could do it on their terms. Right, right. You know, maybe. They knew what was coming. Yeah it's, yeah. it's almost impossible to know for sure Yeah, why these all ended or up Or maybe there. they were hiding them. Like if they thought that they could kick oh, yeah. the Romans out and go back to status quo. Coming and, back to get them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, the, the fact that it's basically hot springs and, and muddy is what helped their preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's an oxygen-free environment, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least low oxygen. Yep. And oxygen's what, what uh, takes a lot of stuff down. So anyway... The interesting thing, again, to me, uh, as part of this, was during that several hundred year period where all this was happening, at some point, these statues got dumped in there. But I'm like, like, okay, how far down, how deep, were the people still using those baths? Yeah, totally. Because another thing the article mentions is that the general practice of using public baths was basically uh, stopped around the 5th century um, CE because, of course, the Christians didn't like it. Right. So Christians came in and said, public baths? Gross. <laughs> nope, we're not doing that. Yeah. God's so not cool with that. You can see other people's parts. No. Because <laughs> Christians don't like parts. That's no, well known. No, no, they definitely yeah. do not. <laughs> you know, we saw something just the other day. I can't remember what we were watching, and it was like, uh, it was like these women who were playing, was it baseball? Back in like the 30s or 40s or or something, or maybe even 50s. And yet they had to do it. Um, they had to do it on their own. What were they doing? They league were doing of their something own? else. No, there wasn't a league like that. It must have been earlier than that. But they okay. were doing something. I think we were at a museum or something recently. And I saw this and they were, they had to play with only women as spectators in this outdoor sport, whatever they were doing, because of modesty reasons. Because they oh, because men weren't allowed to watch yeah. them move their bodies like that, right. basically, right? Right. Not only that, but they yeah. weren't they weren't in like you know gym clothes because that didn't exist. But yeah. they weren't wearing big puffy dresses either. Right. Right. So yeah, there was definitely some ankles. So right, but ladies just like, only. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Hashtag Christians again. Yep. Anyway, yep. Um, <laughs> so. These statues will undergo restoration. They're already cleaning them up mm-hmm. and bringing them back to a lab. And then they'll eventually go and display in a new museum in uh, San Casciano uh, near the town where they were found. Very so, cool. Yeah. The thing, man, museums. And I know we rant about this all the time. Mm-hmm. It would be very cool to see the statues, but it would also be really cool if they could somehow incorporate the, the spa atmosphere that they were found in, you yeah. know, so that you could get an idea of what people were doing when they went to these spas, why it was an ideal place to hide mm-hmm. the statues. I just, yeah, you know. Well, the spa itself is really cool, too. I yeah. mean, there's an overhead, like, drone shot of it. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, I mean, you could see the structures and walls and things like that. It looks like it would have been a really you know, cool, a place. cool place to go. Yeah. I, I wonder, I would be willing to bet that at some points in history, it probably had a roof over it maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's but, a lot of different walls in that picture and they probably are from various different times over the years that it was used by mm-hmm. different people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, 
the final thing on this, it, it, people, uh, some of the articles I saw mentioned again, rewriting history. But what it's rewriting, sort of, is our ideas about ancient art in that area, because mm. there isn't a lot of good examples, especially all in one spot mm-hmm. from seemingly one locality Mm -hmm. that represent this and just the level of preservation the fact that they're not even broken really yeah and they're inscribed and all of that is still there and so beautifully detailed like it takes somebody really artistic to be able to create that yeah out of bronze so obviously they had a really well-developed art scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this town or in this area yeah you don't just make something like that 2300 years ago no you you apprentice and you learn and yeah yeah for for sure. sure Okay, well, we're going to go over there to Egypt and King (laughs) Tut, and I'm going to try real hard not to look up the Steve Martin King Tut skit from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) I think you reference that every time we talk about Every time you say King Tut, you can't not see him doing the Egyptian dance, this whole terrible cultural thing that that, uh, he did, but it was amazing. I think you have to be like over the age of 40 to get that reference. Come on. (laughs) Sorry. Search Steve Martin King Tut. (laughs) Okay. Back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 194, and it's our third and final segment. And this time, again, this is something else I saw coming out. It's quite in the a news bit. a lot yeah, right now. Yeah, quite a bit lately. Um, and it's about King Tut. Yeah, 100 years later. Yeah. So I found an article called "100 Years After Unearthing King Tut's Tomb: Archaeologists Make New Discoveries," and honestly, that led me to like a bunch of other news stories and things just about King Tut in general because it turns out that it is the 100th anniversary Mm -hmm. of the discovery of the tomb which was November 4th 1922 so of course all this month there has just been a whole bunch of stuff getting published about the tomb and some of it good and some of it not so good so we'll talk about a couple things that um, I learned about in this segment yeah (laughs) yeah and of course Zahi Hawass is going to make an appearance. He will. Yeah. Yep. He always does, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so the the tomb, for just to give a quick overview of, mm-hmm. of what King Tut is and why it's so important, but the tomb was discovered by Howard Carter and his team, which included photographer Harry Burton. So just keep that name in your mind. All right. We'll come back to him. But it was discovered November 4th, 1922, like I said, and it was just an amazing find for the time because most tombs were looted. They just weren't as complete, but this one was fully intact, had everything in it. And that's why you see these amazing photos today of all the different artifacts that that came out of that tomb. Yeah. So that's why it's so important. King Tut himself, not really the most important of the pharaohs, Tutankhamun. So he took the throne when he was only nine and he was only pharaoh for like 10 years, a little less than 10 years before he died. Mm -hmm. And his remains tell us that he wasn't like the healthiest of kids when he died around age 18 or 19. His remains tell us that he had a cleft palate, a curved spine, a broken leg at the time that he died, and he likely died from malaria. And I've heard that there were other indicators in the skeleton too that just showed that he was just like not super healthy. Mm -hmm. He probably lived a life of pain and 
you know, it's probably why he was able to succumb to malaria and, and died, even though he was only 18 or 19 when he right. caught it. So it was such a rich archaeological despo- deposit, obviously. And today, and over the years, they have continued to do excavations in the area. And one of the articles that I'm linking to here is just about some of the things that they have found recently. And they're still finding so much. Like, they have found, like, coffins, uh, papyrus documents, and a lot more. Mm -hmm. And those things that they're finding are, it's really crazy who they're related to. So, some of them are related to a different pharaoh called King Teddy. And I was like, I've never heard of that pharaoh. It's not one of the big ones that you think of. And I looked it up. And he actually is from the 6th dynasty. Okay. Whereas King Tut was the 18th dynasty. Jeez. I might be getting those mixed up, but either way, there's a huge time span between them. So like they're definitely not related to each other. They just happen to be buried in the same area. It just shows you how much use this area was getting for for royal burials and burials of important people across the centuries of Egyptian culture. It's kind of amazing that after even just a few hundred years where, you know, your average person doesn't live like that long. Yeah. You know, and they've got these elaborate tombs for pharaohs. It's mm-hmm. like, didn't somebody look around and go like, you know what? Sometime, some point we're going to like run out of space. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that didn't happen. It, I guess because they had such outer structures that let them know who was where and they were able to stay away from what other ones were buried there i guess i, I don't know but yeah yeah they're, or maybe you know what maybe they did some of their own looting and like when they wanted to put you know the the new king somewhere and there was an old king from a couple hundred years ago maybe they just moved him out of the way who knows maybe they did it new orleans style oh, it was yeah. it was a desert yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> you want to tell that so we were in new orleans recently and we yeah. took this tour and we went to one of the new orleans cemeteries and of course they can't bury people in the ground in new orleans because they're below the floodplain yeah. It doesn't take too long for a body to just make its way to the surface. Yep. So they have the the burial tombs or houses. Mm-hmm. And again, at some point a while back, they realized, hey, we're going to run out of space with these two. Yep. And but you couldn't like the Catholic Church wouldn't allow cremation mm-hmm. and they wouldn't allow, you know, uh, a lot of things. So somebody at some point, though, opened up one of these tombs after a body had been in there for a little while. And we're like, maybe we can shove mom in next to grandma or something. Yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, and they realized that the the heat, the New Orleans heat over the summer and the enclosed nature of the tomb had basically naturally cremated the body. Yeah. It was just ashes in there. Yeah. So they kind of said, all right, great. And they, they made this law called for a year and a day, mm-hmm. and uh, which they still adhere to. And they said, okay, you can bury somebody, but you can't open up the tomb for a year and a day because that gives it a chance to go through at least one New Orleans mm-hmm. summer. And then the, basically in the middle of the night, the the people who run the cemetery, what are those mm-hmm. called? Why can't I think of their name? Um, uh you know, people who are the cemetery guys. The, the funeral guys. guys. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> the Undertakers. Bur- the burial guys. Undertakers. <laughs> the Undertakers will go through and they basically use like a like a, a push broom. Like a push broom. <laughs> you know, like this push squeegee. And yeah. they, they push grandma to the back. Yeah. And then she falls down into a hole in the back there and goes down to the earth. Yeah. Well, they had a, they would purposely dig these deep holes at the yes. back of the of the yeah. tomb. Tomb? Yeah, tomb. That, yeah, that's what yeah. they call them. And, and then... They would just shove the bones back every time they opened the tomb to put somebody new in and just shove them to the back and then they would drop down and then it's just like a pile of bones. They had a special name for that hole. I can't remember what it it was. But that's what they were saying. There was almost no bones left. Because it was all burned. Yeah. 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 Mostly ashes. Yeah. Anyway. But when the Catholic Church started allowing cremation, 
now inside there, there's just like shelves of urns. Yeah. But you can still put somebody in there. Yeah, yeah, totally. So anyway. Anyway, yeah. So quick aside, maybe the Egyptians did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to reuse space to bury people. And it probably was a thing back then, just like it is today. So maybe yeah. that's why they invented mummification, because they're like, why are these bodies turning to ash? Yeah. <laughs> they can't go to the afterlife like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. In addition to King Teddy, some of the other artifacts and remains that they're finding are associated with generals and advisors of King Tut that are mm-hmm. that are definitely associated with King Tut. So there's just kind of a mishmash of new stuff that they're finding there. Mm-hmm. But Zahi Hawass has said that Egypt is building a grand Egyptian oh, yeah. museum in Giza. I guess it is in progress. It's happening. Yeah. It keeps getting delayed, though. So they say it's going to open next year, but... I mean, with you have so many delays, it's kind of hard to believe it. But at some point, it will be opening, and all this stuff is going to be displayed there. I've heard of things. I've heard of this museum outside of like King Tut articles. Yeah, and it is supposed to be the the like grandest, biggest gigantic. museum in the world dedicated yeah. to this. And it'll so. have a lot more than King Tut stuff in it. It's yeah. going to be like all of Egyptian prehistory, basically, right. in one gigantic museum. Yeah, it'll probably be an amazing and overwhelming thing to see. You think as soon as they open the doors, they're going to be like, "All right, British Museum." <laughs> We got shelves now. I think the British Museum has given back like a lot of stuff, but it's interesting you say that because the next thing we're going to talk about that has been in the news circuit in relation to King Tut is these accusations of stolen artifacts and jewelry that belong to King Tut. So Howard Carter, back to the guy who sort of ran the whole deal. Howie. Howie. It appears that he decided to take several pieces of jewelry and artifacts out of Egypt with him. And then he gave them away to friends and family and people like that. And they did not necessarily know that he was giving them giving them stolen artifacts because like the laws were kind of unclear. Well, I mean, they were unclear to the white people who don't know Egypt that what he was doing was actually illegal. And it was Mm -hmm. illegal at the time. It was against the law for him to take these artifacts out of Egypt. I could see him feeling entitled though. Yeah, totally. And my thought was like, why in the world would he do this? Like, it just doesn't make sense to risk. Because there were thousands of things (laughs) and he's probably like, nobody's going to miss these few things. I know. It seems like a combination of like Eric and entitlement just made him feel like he could do it and he could get away with it, which he did. (laughs) So I guess he was right. So recently, and let's go back to Harry Burton, who I mentioned in the beginning. He's the photographer who was documenting the discovery of King Tut's tomb. Now, there's a professor in France, Professor Marc Gabaldi, and he is an Egyptologist and he's studying the photos taken by Harry. These are a lot of in situ photos or photos of things like right when they come out Mm -hmm. and they're still in Egypt. They're still with all the rest of the artifacts. There's one picture of this like collar that was actually on King Tut's coffin, either on the coffin or on his mummy. I'm not sure exactly where the placement was, but there's a photo of it like literally sitting on the coffin and that artifact is gone. It's missing missing big quotation marks (laughs) and what this guy 
uh, what this professor did is he looked at all these photos taken by Harry Burton, and then he started trying to match them up with other Egyptian <laughs> artifacts in different museums around the world because everything is documented online now. So you can see yeah. pictures of all these artifacts in different, even small museums around the world. And he is finding some very clear matches with the things that were in the photos and what he's finding in these museums. Mm-hmm. And this collar is one of those in particular. Yeah. It's split across several museums. I think there's some beads on it that were actually split out of it and like strung onto a different um, strand in some way or like presented differently. But through looking at these photos and then I, he might have even looked at the artifacts physically too. Mm-hmm. He's able, he was able to, to link them together and say, yes, this is definitely the thing that was on King Tut when he was discovered. Right. One of the, one of the pieces of the collar is found in the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Missouri. That's crazy. I know, like a pretty small a pretty small museum. There's no plans to repatriate the artifacts yet, but it does sound like they're open to it. They just have a process that they have to go to and, and go through and this is sort of like a new finding that it pro- or maybe not a new finding, like maybe they suspected it, but this mm-hmm. is like a little bit more proof of the fact that that, that is yeah. <laughs> what it is. And if you're wondering how in the world that would have ended up in Missouri, it sounds like Howard Carter with like he was buddies with with a guy <laughs> that either lived in Missouri in Kansas City or moved there and he donated the artifact to the museum at yeah. some point, probably when he died. And that's right. how it ended up in the museum. So the museum didn't necessarily do anything wrong here. It's just that it's time to figure out what goes where and yeah. correct the wrongs of Howard Carter. Yeah, it, it does. You know, again, it doesn't surprise me that he did this. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet that, uh, you know, this has a lot of exposure. Uh, I mean, King Tut, when mm-hmm. the minute it was found, the tomb, yeah. it was just like famous. Yeah. It's been famous ever since mm-hmm. yeah, for lots of reasons. And so it wouldn't surprise me if some of the lesser tombs or lesser known things mm-hmm. where archaeologists go in. I mean, I'm not saying every archaeologist do this because definitely every archaeologist does not do this. But back in a certain time frame. It was a different mentality a different, for these guys yeah. from the late 1800s, early 1900s. I'm not excusing yeah. it, but I'm just saying no. that it was a different mentality for sure. Yeah. And I could see them going, you know, these, Who's Egypt, gonna these Egyptian this? laws. Like, seriously? Yeah. I'm British. I can- <laughs> <laughs> not even that. I think it's just like, oh, there's so much stuff here. They don't need all this. They won't right. even notice or care right. if I grab this little collar that was mm-hmm. on King Tut's mummified body which that one is the one that I'm like really he thought I was okay to take that he doesn't need it (laughs) yeah if only he'd known about social media then he'd have looked at that photographer and went hey could you not right now for a second just (laughs) like go take take a coffee break I gotta go back in the tomb for a second (laughs) oh my god it's so bad (laughs) but this guy went and posted about it and now he's in trouble yeah well he's dead so it's cool (laughs) but there is and if you're wondering how like how strong is the evidence that he actually did this or that maybe they got out in some other way One thing for sure we have primary evidence of is that Carter gifted something. I'm not sure what the the item was, but he gifted something to a British Egyptologist named Sir Alan Gardner. Mm -hmm. And it was a piece of stolen jewelry. It was confirmed that it was a piece of stolen jewelry in the 30s. And Gardner realized what it was, figured it out. And he called out um, Carter in a letter to him. And we have that letter where Gardner's like, how could you give me this? How could you put me in this position? Right. What am I supposed to do with this? This is high, you know, basically highly illegal. Why did you why did you bring me into this? Yeah. But he kind of like wimped out and just did nothing about it. He sent sure. this scathing letter to Carter and then did nothing to turn him in or tell anybody. He never told anybody, kept it a secret his whole life. 
the only reason we know about it is because of the letter. So, right. But it is somewhat proof that Carter did definitely take artifacts he wasn't supposed to. Did he just be very British about it and just end it with "Good afternoon, sir"? <laughs> good afternoon. So, yeah. It's another little uh, little inside thing. If you haven't seen the Will Ferrell. Uh, Ryan Reynolds movie, oh the Christmas my movie. Oh God, don't out us for watching that movie. <laughs> We've already watched it. Yeah, we did. You'll get that joke. It's called Spirited. Yeah. It was cute. It's a musical. I love Good musicals. Sir. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's good. To, I, I'm, what's really cool to me is the museum that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to make it over to Egypt someday. I and know it's on my list for sure. Well wait until that museum's done because that'd be really cool. Well, it's supposed to open next year, and I yeah. can't see us getting there before next year, so we'll should be a thing. Yeah, we'll yep. see. So, anyway, next week we're bound to determine unless something crazy happens. I mean, it is holidays this week here in this country, but. Um, Which actually means we will have more time to maybe binge watch some TV. That that's true. That's, yeah, that yeah, could happen. So, yeah, because we want to watch this whole thing and and do a little background research on yeah. it. But uh, that's the uh, Ancient Apocalypse Graham Hancock thing on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, doesn't do anybody any good like not watching it. Uh, one thing I like about a well funded. Uh, show like that is that the graphics are amazing. Oh yeah, and and I'd be willing to bet a lot of the graphics they're putting up there, um, you know, they are representing real geological mm-hmm. or historical events, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the the basis behind the theories that are in question. So, mm-hmm. or or the hypothesis hypothesis Hancock is trying to approve that you know? for sure. But there's definitely some speculation about the first site that he analyzed in the first episode. Mm-hmm. He he definitely does a little bit of like archaeological speculation, and so what I'm excited to do is go look up that site and do our own research on it and see if what is said in the peer-reviewed you know sources matches what he's saying in this really well-funded documentary because he presents it in a way that makes it seem like it's really good strong science and good strong evidence so and to to steal another phrase from spirited the new will ferrell movie that we're not sponsored by (laughs) they were doing a lot of shit whispering about archaeologists (laughs) (laughs) I'm just Graham Shit Hon- whisper. He did. He like Graham, yeah, yeah. He's never been he's not an archaeologist. He's a nope, journalist. He, he even is. says that. <laughs> but like throughout, he's like, archaeologists refuse to dig here yeah. because they don't want to <laughs> really like I'll dig there. I, yeah. And he's like talking about how we are resistant to the evidence because we don't want to change our minds. And like, well, that might be true like if, of some people, but probably not most. Like if he can get permission from the Indonesians and give me some money, I'll hundred percent dig there tomorrow. <laughs> I know, right? Like I want to dig there. Yeah. 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 So I'll even bring it back home. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't with know if that, you went to that island. Well, yeah, true. Had to helo it in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, with that, we will call it on this episode. It's good to be back doing these news episodes. We're probably going to have these, maybe some themed ones. We don't have any interviews coming up. No, um, we don't. This It'll year. just be us for a little while. Yeah. So yep. at least till the end of this uh, calendar year. Mm-hmm. So for sure, um, we're going to keep going on with that. Again, if you if you happen to download this very early, yeah, on Sunday morning, November. 20th mm-hmm. <laughs> then check out the uh, the event it's at uh, culturomedia.com mm-hmm. click on live events yep so culturomedia.com click on live events cultura is k-u-l-t-u-r-o that's right it's esperanto for culture <laughs> there you go anyway if you're not uh if you're not there um and, and this is way too late which is probably for most of you then uh just go over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members check out our membership program and you can watch the event in post, but then keep an eye out on Culturo and, and all the APN resources for the February event coming up. So. Yeah. All right. With that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.